for those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mello. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist his head. It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mello. I love Canada. It's Marsh and Mello. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mello. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank gonna be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mello. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mello. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. I was just reading the back of uh, these like little tubes of biosteel electrolyte. Yeah, it's, it's kind of terrifying. I because I use <laughs> I use a lot of these, and I love biosteel products. Like I would fr- <laughs> friggin' love to have biosteel on as a sponsor with us because I actually like I I drink way too much of this electrolyte stuff throughout the day. I've got like forty different canisters of every flavor they have: the sport greens, the, all that stuff. And uh, but you read the back of it, and it's like, man. There's a lot of stuff that goes into this little tiny packet. I, I'd never realized this. Leucine, glutamine, valine, isoleucine, uh, glycine, taurine, potassium, calcium, magnesium, choline, theamine, niacin, vitamin B6, riboflavin, panthenic acid, zinc, folate, vit- vitamin B12, biotin, non-medical ingredients, citric acid, malic acid, natural flavors, sodium chloride, sodium citrate, dihydrate, whatever that is, purified <laughs> stevia leaf extract, a lysithin, and then it gives you all these like recommendations and stuff. And it's like, hey, only take a certain number of times throughout the day. And uh, if you're going through this or this or this medically, don't take this. I'm like, I thought this was just supposed to hydrate me. This is why I take these because I'm like <laughs> working out, hot yoga and stuff. And you're like, okay, I just, I want to be hydrated, Kyle. That's all. That's all. Uh, remember when BioSteel, there was like a commercial, every like three commercials at, on Raptors broadcast. Yeah. And the face of BioSteel was Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, it was Connor McDavid and Andrew Wiggins, was it not? It was the whole drink. Yeah. The, it was drink the pink. and then Drink they, the pink, yeah. And, and then they made a billion other flavors and I bought them all. And that's why uh, <laughs> I continue to use all these BioSteel. The sport greens are actually great, though. The sport green, it's for me, it's <laughs> I know this is not a, a live read for BioSteel, but uh, they're so good because you can basically just sneak in all of these different vitamins and things that you need without having to just be like popping pills throughout the day in order to get vitamins. It's like, no, it's just a big scoop of like essentially dehydrated uh, greens uh, that are fantastic. And it, they actually taste pretty good too. Uh, there's some good flavors of that stuff. So anyways, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. We do appreciate it. Thank you as always to Fox 40, our actual sponsor, uh, who does help this show be a reality. Of course, if you'd like to be able to get back in the game, you can do so. Go to fox40shop.com. They are the worldwide leaders in whistle technology for all your whistle needs and much, much more coaching boards and plenty of more good stuff. Fox40shop.com. CFP15 is the promo code to use. And Sawdust City Brewing, of course, as well. Brewery Fresh Beer delivered directly to your door. They got all sorts of fun stuff here in the fall. Excited this week, Kyle, because I will be uh, sampling with Sam Corbet of Sawdust City Lone Wine, which is the 11.2% American barley wine that they have created. Sam is just coming off of the Canadian Brewing Awards in Quebec City. I chatted with him from his hotel room while he was there. And the package that they sent me, the four beers to taste this month with him, he picked the one that was the lowest alcohol content because he said, we've had like 500 beers since we left uh, Ontario to come to Quebec City and be at this Canadian <laughs> Brewing Awards. So he was like, I just picked the one that had the least amount of alcohol in it. I'm like, mm, yeah, I would probably do the very same thing. But uh, so those are, of course, our partners and we want you to support them. And our new partner, Ontario University Athletics. Uh, very cool to be able yeah. to have them on. Now, I do have some bad news, uh, which is 
that master uh, lost well that too i'm sure that <laughs> Dwayne ford is going to destroy me on the broadcast coming up this, oh no this, this friday because western and mac played and it didn't go great for mac but uh i already have planned my comeback to when Dwayne rips me for mcmaster getting beat up in that game and uh so tune in friday when i have the call of the alouettes <laughs> in toronto against the argos to find out my rebuttal to what Dwayne Ford has to say about <laughs> Western beating up on McMaster. Uh, but one piece of kind of semi-sarcastic bad news uh, and then one piece of actual bad news I want to bring up here off the top, and I don't like starting the show with bad news. We'll get to the CFL recap and all the rest, but uh, the semi-sarcastic bad news, we did a great OUA show yesterday. Every Sunday at 10 a.m., myself, Connor, O'Neill, and Wade Zanketa are going live on our YouTube page for CFP and basically giving you a half hour recap of everything that we noticed from the day before. It's kind of like a college football roundup for just the OUA. We did a great show. There was no audio. <laughs> so oh, no. Uh, so we did a full half hour show that we loved. We finished it. We we're like, man, that was fun. That's great. God. And then we posted it and something went wrong and we're going to find out what it was and make just sure. Just overlay but... like Reese Davis and the guys from college game day, <laughs> just overlay it and people won't even notice. Uh, what, what we're actually going to do <laughs> is that Connor and Wade on all Canadian coming up tomorrow on Tuesday, September 21st, they are going to dig deep into the OUA and that is going, <laughs> that's going to serve as the OUA show for this week because we really did love the show that we did on Sunday morning. And we hope that people will, uh, will use that as a home for their OUA coverage on Sunday mornings to kind of get that quick recap, because I get it. There's a lot going on in life. If you just want to dive in and enjoy five, six minutes of hardcore football talk on your university team, I think that's going to be the place for people to go and enjoy doing that. So, uh, but anyways, that that's the semi-sarcastic bad news. The actual bad news uh, if you've been following along with Canadian football is that the University of Ottawa GG's program, we have to start the show with this today because I just, I cannot wrap my head around the way that this splashed across my timeline yesterday. I'm watching the NFL games and enjoying seeing football players out living their dreams. And I'm enjoying being able to see, uh, you know, the CFL have a great double header, two games Friday, two games Saturday, love the schedule, love the layout, lots of energy, excitement, quarterbacks getting starts, you know, lots of storylines. And then the university games happen on Saturday afternoon. And I watch the University of Ottawa lose 11 10 uh, to the University of Toronto varsity blues. Congratulations to Toronto. And I think, oh, well, you know, it's a tough loss for Ottawa, but they'll get over it. And then the word came out on Saturday evening, Sunday morning, publicly at the very least, uh, that there is a fifth year uh, GG that passed away suddenly uh, after the game was done. And I, I don't know if you had heard this, Kyle, or seen this, if this had kind of come across your timeline at all. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I follow a lot of Canadian university football teams, and, and so everybody was passing along their condolences. But the University of Ottawa put out a statement that says, Dear members of the university community, it is with a heavy heart that I bring you some very sad news over the weekend. Francis Perron, one of our medical engineering students and a defensive lineman in his fifth season with GG's football, died shortly after a game between U Ottawa and the University of Toronto. A bright, passionate, and caring person, Francis poured himself into his craft as a player and his academic pursuit of becoming an engineer. In the classroom, he was as big of a star as he was on the field, becoming a multiple-time U Sports academic All-Canadian while studying mechanical engineering, which, by the way, I've played football with engineers, I have absolutely no idea how those people balance those two things. But uh, originally from Sherbrooke, Quebec, Francis first joined the GG's football team in 2017 after a stellar career at Sajip de Sherbrooke. Francis' love for the game was present in his play, but even more so in the relationship he built with his teammates. His memory will live on 
through our vast network of loving family, friends, and all those who, uh, lives, whose, whose lives he touched on behalf of the University of Ottawa. This is from the president and vice chancellor, Jacques Fremont. Uh, he says, I offer my condolences to his family, friends, and loved ones. The thoughts of all members of our community are with you. Also, I would like to thank our colleagues at the University of Toronto for their steadfast support during this tragic event. Uh, I have seen people that I played with have family members that have passed away recently, and that hit like a ton of bricks. I can't imagine how anybody from the University of Ottawa can wrap their mind around playing a football game when going through something like this. I mean, even people that I didn't actually play with that were in other varsity sports at McMaster, people yeah. you, would just, you would just pass in the hallway. And I, some of them, unfortunately, have tragically passed away. I think about um, the, there was a wrestler uh, from McMaster, I believe Jason Buckle, uh, that passed away not that long ago. And I, I mean, I, I used to sit in the sauna with that guy once in a while and just like shoot the shit, you know what I mean? And, yeah. uh, and he passed away tragically as well over the last year. And uh, it's just, it's super shocking. And I, I have no idea how Ottawa is supposed to get back out onto the football field. And I can't, I just, I don't know. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine. And I wanted to bring it up and just say from CFP along with everybody else in the Canadian football community that we, we feel for his family and we feel for the Gigi's program because I can't, I, I just can't, as you can tell from my rambling, I can't wrap my mind around it. It's, it's an impossible circumstance to try and understand. It's so unfair and it's so yeah. cruel. And it's, you know, not just that the Ottawa Gigi's have to continue a football season. It's the fact that preparation starts what today, tomorrow, yeah. like it's supposed to, but who knows? Like, I know. I can't imagine. I, I know. I mean, if, if something that ridiculously tragic had happened at McMaster, I have a real hard time imagining that Steph Patatsik would have said to us at, at Mac when I was there, hey, get out there on a Tuesday or, you know, day one or, hey, let's start watching film and breaking things down. It's like their program's probably going to need to press pause for at the very least a couple of days. I mean, hell, I had a, I had a teammate whose mom passed away tragically when i was at mac and our entire team basically carpooled took a bus and we went to the service to show our support and we paused practice that day and it was a woman i'd never met before but i just wanted to be there for our teammates so we all just went and and were present at the service and uh so yeah i i don't know how and it, this is a really difficult situation too because marcel belfay is now the head man in, at the university of ottawa and he's coming off a loss and I'm sure you know grinding away on the tape and wants to dive in and wants to make his football team better he's already going through a COVID season and travel restrictions and all these different things and then this gets dropped into you and not only is it, uh, it and again I'm not trying to do football analysis on this and there's no comparison shopping on death so please don't think that's what I'm doing but like it's a veteran leader on your team it's a smart guy who understands campus who if anybody had any questions could help them understand what this is all about and just not there anymore for a coach who, albeit Belfay's been around, he's seen a lot of things, but nothing prepares you for this. And I, I just don't know what the coach's playbook, if it was me, I, I would be asking the OUA for a week off. Yeah. Like, uh, that's just me. But again, I don't know if there's flexibility in that. And I mean, they're already working on a condensed schedule. I don't know what the logistics of that would be, but uh, it, without thinking about, you know, next steps moving forward, it's just... I can't, I can't believe that we go into week one of the OUA season, wait so long to get on the field and this happens. And for anybody wondering as well, like I don't have any details on this. There's not been any release publicly and I haven't had time to reach out to anybody. And obviously 
I have no interest in reporting on exactly what the reasoning was behind this, but uh, I just, it's so unfair to everybody involved, the, the most of which, of course, his family and his friends. And uh, and so I just wanted to pass that along off the top here and, and make sure it was addressed because uh, the Canadian football community is not a very big one. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it is, it's a passionate one and there's fans across the country, but in terms of the coaches and the networks and the teams and the players and playing against guys that you played with in high school or in SAGEP or it's, uh, you know, the University of Ottawa are the ones that we're thinking of here, but anybody who was in SAGEP that played with or against uh, Francis or anybody from the University of Ottawa who's crossed paths with him over the last five years, or maybe somebody who hosted him on his recruiting trip or, uh, you know, the former coaches at the University of Ottawa who were around him and understand, I mean, it's, the you know I, I went to a funeral recently as i say for one of my teammates moms who passed away suddenly and at that funeral there were three or four oua head football coaches from schools that we didn't go to like they were just they were there to show their support because they understood they had heard it through the grapevine of hey something sad's happened here and we need to band together so i, I hope everybody does that for francis and, and the ggs and, and everybody involved yeah, and hopefully everybody in that community in Ottawa can come together and try to, you know, help the rest of that football team yeah. uh, with the morning of a teammate. And then eventually, whether it's this week or next week, uh, return to a football schedule that's very tough to do. Yeah, I, again, I, I don't know how they do that, but I'm just looking at the schedule here uh, for the University of Ottawa. Gigi's just pulling up this week. And again, Connor and Wade are going to tee up all things OUA for you uh, leading up throughout the week and make sure that you uh, you stay locked to all Canadian for all of that. But uh, yeah, in week number two here coming up in the 25th, they're scheduled to play at Richardson Stadium at Queens. And I just, I don't know how you're supposed to do that with a 3 p.m. kickoff coming up supposed to be this Saturday because after that it's Ottawa Carlton and then after that it's they have a bye week I mean maybe they can shift their games into a, a different spot or actually no it's not not a bye week I think it's Thanksgiving there so they're they're actually still playing that week but anyways the logistics of that are beside the point I just wanted to uh, to mention that so let's move on and talk some CFL here Kyle uh, let's begin chronologically back on uh, Friday night the first game of the doubleheader I gotta say I do love the two games Friday two games Saturday deal I that's to me that's so much better than the only thing that's better is one on Thursday one on Friday, two on Saturday, or one on Thursday, two on Friday, one on Saturday. Because I the Saturday triple header, man, I love football, but whew, that, <laughs> you don't like the four, seven, and oh, ten kickoffs. <laughs> that that takes some serious commitment. And I'll be honest too, sometimes with the late games, I'm sleepy. Uh, and I like to DVR and I like to actually wake up and watch the game without commercials quickly in the morning. So having the seven o'clock and the ten o'clock kickoff Friday, Saturday. Beautiful. Love it. And it gives you the opportunity Saturday afternoons if you want to dabble into some college football or the OUA or whatever it might be. So uh, I do love the layout of the schedule. I was actually just watching this game before we came on to start taping the podcast here. And uh, I have no idea how Calgary lost is my my takeaway <laughs> from this situation. And it's that's not really a knock against the Ticats and saying, hey, you were god awful. David Watford was 19 of 22. And they had a ton of rushing attempts. They were 43% pass play calls in this game. The average in the CFL is well over two thirds. It's, it's about 68 to 70%, depending on teams. Some teams you'll get up into the mid seventies. They were 43%. Like they went diamond full house, Poppy white alongside Jackson, Madden, alongside Malik irons, alongside Tim white, alongside Dunbar. 
they were just like, hey, there's a bunch of bodies in the backfield. And David Watford ends up with 10 rushes for 35 yards, 3.5 yards per carry. It was they essentially Calgary was saying, sure, if you're going to be reading us, we'll just force the quarterback to keep the ball all the time and then we'll rally and make tackles. And the high percentage passing was great. Like the, the percentage is 86.3% completion percentage. The problem is the average depth of targets, like four yards, yeah. right? It was, everything was near the line of scrimmage. It was, and again, not a knock on Tommy Condell or the offense or the Ticats. This is the reality. They were running a high school offense. They were running a very simplified power run uh, high school offense that 22 passing attempts in the CFL is obviously below average. Part of the reason for that might've been their continued offensive line struggles uh, to try and protect when you're dealing with just a normal drop back straight up passer. Watford didn't really feel like that. And they certainly didn't take the handcuffs off him to let him kind of show that he could do a lot more in the passing game. The only attempt that was over about 10, 15 yards was Nikola Kalinic late in the game on a play action bootleg on the corner route. And, uh, and he still kind of like threw it, you know, a little behind him and stuff. So if you're Calgary, you come out of this, what the hell are you thinking? Uh, because I just don't know how you get beat in on the score sheet by a team that's throwing for 149 yards. Okay. First thing um, I'm with you. It was, it was tough to watch. And I put out a tweet in the first half of the game. I was like the energy in Tim Hortons field. It was just quiet. Like that was the most quiet I've ever heard Tim Hortons field during a game that was still in the balance. Like in the first quarter, it was quiet. And I think it was quiet because people were looking at the offense and they weren't happy. They were like, this is rough. And that was going to be, you know, the reality of having David Watford as quarterback. Look, I don't not like David Watford. I think he's a a serviceable guy. If he's the number three guy on the depth chart, you're not going to win a lot of games with David Watford as a starting quarterback. Credit to Coach O and to Tommy Condell for drawing up a game plan to fit David Watford's skill set. But it wasn't enjoyable to watch. And how consistent can you be with with that type of game plan? I have no idea. But Calgary had as much struggles offensively as I've ever seen Calgary have struggles offensively. And it played in to to the Ticats game plan. And then Ticats defense just stepped up and played a hell of a game. Um, And then Simone Lawrence gets into the end zone. Um, We'll see. I mean, look, David Watford goes out and beats Calgary at home. He might go out on Wednesday and beat the Ottawa Red Blacks in Ottawa. Just that's the reality of the situation for Ottawa. The Red Blacks are not a great football team. Um, But if you're going to beat, you know, the, the Edmontons of the CFL or, you know, the Winnipegs or the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, you don't have a chance playing offensive football like that. And unless your defense is going to put up scores every single week, by the way, Simone Lawrence already two pick six this season. Crazy. Um, unless you're going to, you know, rely on your defense to put points on the board themselves, um, it's not going to be consistent. But for the Ticats, it's about treading water until Dane Evans gets back or Jeremiah Masoli gets somewhat healthy. Um, I would expect David Wofford to start again against Ottawa. Um, but again, we, we wait and we see. Yeah, who knows at this point? I, I think if Masoli can come back, then you're going to pull the trigger on that as quickly as possible. Because to your point, if Dane is out four to six weeks, so let's say you're down one week, you got three more weeks to go. And I just don't think that what we saw there, now again, it's, 
I always have a hard time with backup, backup quarterbacks and trying to project their evolution, like trying to project where they could go moving forward because Dominique Davis, we saw him week one look awful against the Calgary Stampeders and still get a victory, which was kind of what we just saw from Wofford. And then he comes home in week two of 2019, plays against Saskatchewan and has the best game of his life. Four touchdowns, over 300 yards, high completion percentage, made lots of great throws, great reads, threw some dimes. It was just like... But then obviously he fell back to earth very, very quickly and he stayed down at earth. And uh, so I'm looking at David Wofford and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know if there's any room for progression here. They do have practice time now dedicated. You would think if he's going to be the starter to him, to certain packages, to expanding stuff. But the reason I, I make that high school offense comment is because when you're really watching what they were doing, they're lining up essentially in like a full house diamond where there's a running back yeah. behind and, a, and two running backs to each side. And they're running like a fly sweep motion, which is something that they've been doing out of a bunch of different formations, which I think is just to alleviate the offensive line, giving up pressure and, and make those defensive ends kind of slow down a little bit and wonder if anybody's flying across their face. And again, sometimes that backfires because you end up with a loss of seven if they jump that jet sweep. But if you have Watford, who's being able to read, okay, defensive end is jumped outside, handoff inside, gash them. But there were so many times where it was obvious that the Calgary Stampeders were saying, we want David Watford to keep the football and try to run against us. Like we're not going to give him the read, uh, you know, because the defenses will pick and choose. Very rarely do they go into a game and they're like, we don't know if we're going to get red on the zone read stuff or on these fly sweeps or on these veer plays. or, And so we're just going to end up shrugging and playing it however it happens. They're like, no, they're being coached too. And so the defense was being coached, make Watford keep it. So every time that they stuck the, the ball in the belly of a running back, they would attack the running back, force Watford to pull the ball out, and then just believe that they could rally and make tackles. And they did, as evidenced by the 3.5 yards per carry in that spot. But if, if you have a more varied attack and you see that you're not getting production from the quarterback run game, you go away from it. They just didn't have much else in the package. Like it looked yeah. like they were essentially their base run package out of that diamond or full house formation in this game against Calgary was four plays. It was off tackle it was inside zone it was fly sweep and it was quarterback keep on basically like a pull with a pulling guard they were running four or five plays it felt like again i don't have the play sheet in front of me i'm sure it's more varied than four or five plays but to the naked eye it's essentially a five play set that they ran 20 times and didn't get very much production had a bunch of two and outs but they win like this is the crazy thing is okay now going into ottawa worst team in the cfl can you beat the ottawa red blacks running that package with a slight evolution. Like if you add on to it a little bit, is that good enough? If he throws for 149 yards and adds in 35 rushing yards, is that good enough to beat Ottawa? It should be. Yeah, it, it should be. But, but do you really want to risk it? Do you really want to lean in or invest in trying to do that? Or do you just say to Masoli, listen, dude, this is a great game in Ottawa to get you back into the fold, get your rhythm back, try to build up something here. But then you're also looking at, this is the three-headed monster dynamic of, of this quarterback room. It's like, Watford, I don't think there's enough there to develop. I don't think you really care to invest all that much in it because you got other priorities. So let's mm -hmm. bring back Masoli. But then what are you bringing back Masoli for? Because the second Evans is healthy, regardless of how Masoli plays, you're going to put Evans back in the game. Yeah. Uh, it is interesting because I think the Thai Cats still have issues on the roster in terms of that offensive line, you can't really judge how the offensive line played against 
the Calgary Stampeders because he was getting the ball out so quick. Yeah. And, you know, it was a very basic, like you said, high school offense. Um, so to be honest, I don't know. I, I can't, you know, uh, you know, predict anything uh, going into Wednesday in terms of how Hamilton's going to look. Here's the problem when you run an offense like that. You put so much pressure on your defense, not only for the game, for being consistent. If the defense goes out there and all of a sudden Dominique Davis throws two touchdown passes in the first quarter and you have to chase the game, it might be over. It might yeah. be curtains before things get started for the Ticats. Like, I don't – again, this is not a knock on David Watford. I just think the Ticats, if you're going to tread water like that and wait for Dane Evans to come back, it's probably not going to go well for you. Um, again, I don't know what the hell was wrong with Calgary offensively they really struggled by the way i'll say this friday night that was the worst in that first half the worst returning exhibit i've ever seen Ooh. ever watching football so danny austin was down there at tim horton's field he, he obviously uh, came in from calgary and he was telling me before the game josh huff is their best returner josh huff is banged up they do not want him returning kicks so they put um, Daniel Williams back there on the opening kickoff. The opening kickoff of the game, he catches the ball on the sidelines, drops the ball, it then goes through his legs and goes out of bounds at the three-yard line. I'm like, oh, okay, Calgary's already uh, backed up to uh, start this game. And then the Ticats punted after their first drive, and Richard Leonard is back there returning kicks. And I was thinking to myself, Richard Leonard ever returned kicks when he was in Hamilton. I looked it up. 2017, he did have seven punt returns. Oh, okay. I, don't, I did not remember that. Interesting. Yeah. He completely whiffed on the ball, and it just bounced off he, of his uh, shoulder pads and then rolled. He tried to catch it with his face mask. <laughs> yeah. Um, by the way, shout out to uh, Gordon White, uh, the long snapper with the uh, fumble recovery on that one. It's, it's a rare thing you ever see with a long snapper recovering. Sending a, a message to, yes. Aaron, to Aaron Crawford, the ex-long snapper for the Ticats, who's now with the Calgary Stampeders, was in attendance to see Gordon White recover that. See, this is why they went with me. No, uh, Aaron, Aaron Crawford signed with Calgary and Freed, so that's not what happened. Yeah, and then um, later in that opening quarter, uh, Frankie Williams, he, he muffed the punt and then Calgary recovered. And then the <laughs> Ticats end up going to kick ball back to uh, the Calgary Stampeders and Marquis Ambles muffs the punt. And I'm just like, it was weird. It was the worst exhibit for a return game I've ever seen. Um, but as for, you know, what Hamilton looked like on the defensive side of the football, they're really good. Mm -hmm. Um that defensive line was in Bo's face all day. Was it seven bat downs, right? Knockdown passes. Um, very rare. You see that many. Um, but for, for Bo, he was just having always a free guy, whether it was a free guy or a missed block out on the edge. Um, that's something that you can look at and say, this is the backbone of our football team, that front seven. And the secondary is very good too. Um, but that front seven, Ja'Gary Davis just, out of his mind on Friday. I thought yeah. he played an unbelievable game. Um, Julian Hauser as well. Um, I don't know about you, but does Ted Laurent look 
way better than he did in 2019. For me, he just looks like more into the game and he's making more plays, just more forceful as, you know, next to Dylan Wynn being dominant on the inside. I haven't looked closely enough at him. You've seen him live as well, which always helps. But um, for me, Ja'Gary Davis was the best player on the field yeah. in this entire game. And right from the very first offensive snap that Calgary had, inside run to Kadeem Carey, and he kind of hurdles somebody a little bit, like hops over them. And when he does, Ja'Gary Davis was waiting there and just picks up his leg and pile drives him. And I'm, I'm like, Ooh, man, okay, he came ready to play from the very first snap. But, yeah. uh, you know, he jumped outside. He had a couple of knockdowns. He was talking some smack. He was the best player, not just Tiger Cat on the field in that game. But um, the kicking game has been pretty good for Hamilton as well in the last little while here where you've got Bertolette now stepping in and handling all these responsibilities. Uh, Domagala obviously still doing the punting and had his moments here and there. But... Uh, to your point about the defense, yeah, they've been really, really solid, I think, at all three levels, kind of coming into their own, getting more comfortable, working with that defensive backfield that's kind of been pieced together throughout the year. Uh, Bo ends up going 16 of 28 for only 170 yards and in an interception. Uh, but then in comes Jake Mayer. Yeah. And I understand that it's the old Matt Dunnigan yabs, yards after beatdown, but... <laughs> But I see him go nine for nine, look confident, throw a strike into the end zone, and Glenn Suter trying to start the conversation so that when he's doing talk radio hits around the country, he can talk about this. I don't believe Jake Mayer is better than Bo Levi Mitchell. I just believe that Bo Levi Mitchell didn't have a normal training camp because he was banged up, whether it was the the groin, the hammy, whatever it was. Then he comes in to start the season, and he's surrounded by a bunch of guys that he doesn't have a ton of chemistry with. Mm-hmm. Then he breaks his leg. Then he's out with the broken leg. Then he comes back from the broken leg. And he's played two games on the road. Tell me which quarterback you think in the CFL is supposed, regardless of what you think of the quarterback, is supposed to go not a normal training camp, lose a bunch of receivers, break your leg, come back, play two games on the road that's supposed to look dominant. Like, I understand Bo hasn't looked very good, but why should he? And yeah. this is this is my thing with context of this conversation is, yeah, Jake Mayer played well for the Calgary Stampeders. He had a normal training camp. He hasn't broken his leg. He's played games at home. He should look good. Like, if he's a professional-level quarterback and the Calgary Stampeders believe in him, he should. So I, I was a little bit disappointed that Dave Dickinson said, well, Bo's got to step up his game. I understand that he does, but let's add some context to this. Like, let's be real. And you can say, well, Bo, he should be able to play under any circumstances because he's Bo Levi Mitchell. He's human. And if there's anything that the pandemic has taught us is that understanding the human side of people and the way they operate and the way that they do their jobs, you know, like us working from home so much and, and people all around the world working from home, it's like, that's a human understanding of, oh, okay, yeah, no, I, you know what, that context actually helps. I don't believe there's a quarterback controversy. I think Jake Mayer is very good. I think Bo Levi Mitchell's better under the right circumstances with a training camp without a broken leg playing a couple of games at home to get his feet under him. So yeah, uh, I I don't have any real need for that conversation. (laughs) And I think that we're just, I hate when we try to create controversies for the sake of our own uh, profit as media members, where let's talk about something that doesn't really exist so that we have something to talk about. No, if there's nothing to talk about there, be smarter and talk about something that actually matters. Yeah. Um, you know, Friday night, Jake Mayer comes in, what, 80 yards, nine for nine, throws a touchdown. The Ticats were 100% in prevent defense. It was just yeah. the way it is. And he was essentially just throwing underneath routes. And the Ticats um, were dropping, you know, so far back. Their secondary was dropping so far back that, you know, the Stampeders receivers were able to just catch the ball, turn up field, run for 12 yards, and then get tackled. 
And well, if you do that nine times in a row, that's how you get 80 yards. <laughs> like, like that's the, 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 what happened uh, for the Stampeders. Look, I think if your Calgary time's running out on this season, in terms of you have to figure it out and figure it out fast, um, you're already at five losses. Like if we would have told you, you know, before the season, seven games in the stamps are going to be what, two and five. It's we're, we're talking and asking what happened. Mm-hmm. Well, what's happened is the stamps being close in, in a couple of games. Um, but outside of that, just struggles and inconsistencies, like the team that took the field in Edmonton, was not the team that took the field in Hamilton. And I don't know what you do if you're Dave Dickinson, you know, I think you still ride out Bo. Um, but nothing from Friday night's performance tells me that this is going to go well for the rest of the season. I don't know what it is. Like defensively, I think they were okay against the Ticats. Um, maybe they allowed kind of too many you know plays um i think they had missed opportunities uh, as well uh, against david watford um I, there was a play in the first half it was watford's kind of first big long field uh you know down the field attempt and it was a dropped interception and i'm like Ugh. for for calgary in a game like this where the Ticats are shortening the game like the time in possession in this game was ridiculous what was mm-hmm. the Ticats over 10 minutes more uh with the ball than the than the stampeders um, yeah, for Dave Dickinson. And I know there was a third down play, um, in the fourth quarter where Dave Dickinson was kind of, you know, they went for it. It was, you know, I think third and two, they go for it and they come up short and Dave Dickinson just kind of drops this clipboard. And I think he's like out of answers, um, for, for why the Stampeders are struggling so much this season. Yeah. Kadeem Carey just falls down and immediately Bo's head just drops. Cause he's like, why, 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 why? <laughs> but anyways, that was the first game of the week and we should move on and talk about the other ones here. Uh, Toronto, Saskatchewan. If you want a full, full, full breakdown of this one, X's Nargos did a great job. They were up stupid late. Ben Grant, our boy over there, uh, giving you great stuff as always. So go check that out. It's their game recap. But for me in this one, Nick Arbuckle has been so close the last couple of weeks throwing these vertical shots that, I mean, I'm telling you, man, the Argos are an, not an inch. They're centimeters away from being able to score 30 points a game. And if you can do that with the way their defense looks at times, especially their front four and when Sean Oakman is engaged and aggressive, uh, then I think that that's, that's a really, really, really dangerous team, the Toronto Argonauts. I think people need to focus on their process and their potential more than the results in this one because Saskatchewan playing out there is always going to be tough and doing it in a week in which you essentially lose your defensive coordinator and then Rich Stubler's back there calling the defense and by all accounts it's very different like this was not one of those seamless transitions of let's just put in a new coach and he'll just keep calling what the old coach called and we'll all just move forward as yeah. people it sounds like this was an extremely different defense the way it was being called and operated because Stubbs wants to do his stuff and Stubler's stuff is different than Glenn Young's stuff. And there's Chris Jones wandering around somewhere in the abyss in the background quarantining, you would think probably in Canada, maybe in Toronto, I don't know. But the idea that, that they would go into Saskatchewan with that amount of turmoil on their defense and be able to hold Saskatchewan's attack with Cody Fajardo coming back to less than 
20 points and get a victory? Probably not realistic. So 30-16 is the final. Saskatchewan ends up winning, and Cody Fajardo goes 21 of 31 for 212, two touchdowns and an interception. Very similar stat line from Nick Arbuckle, but I thought Arbuckle was actually better in this game than Fajardo was. 22 of 33, 309, two touchdowns and an interception. So a very, very similar uh, lines here from the two quarterbacks. But then William Powell has 21 carries for 122 yards. And there was a moment after the game where they were on the sidelines with about a minute to go. And William Powell uh, sees Jason Moss walk past and he goes, thanks, coach. Gives him a high five and he says, appreciate you. And that just felt like one of those running back things where it's like, see, when <laughs> you give, <laughs> when you give me the football, I have the ability to do this. Now, there was a lot of empty runs as well for William Powell, which you can get away with in the NFL with four downs. You can just have a bunch of one yard, two yards, zero yards. Yeah, but when he had a couple of gashing runs, it certainly did change the temperament of the game. Yeah, um, this game, well, I'll start with the Argos, um, was interesting from the fact of one thing is very clear when I watch Toronto play. They need to establish the run early and stick with it. Problem is, is when you go into the breakdown 18 to three, it's really tough to come back and stick to the run, yeah. <laughs> right? And that's what happened. Like if you look at the the, the, the stat line, um, in this game, John White, seven carries, DJ Foster, three carries. Yeah, 10 carries between your running backs. Like that, that doesn't bode well. That's why Arbuckle, you know, put up the numbers that he did because in the second half, he was chasing the entire time. And, you know, uh, so they concentrated on, on the pass game to get them back in the game. Um, for the Argos, I think Nick Arbuckle, again, is still a work in progress until we can say, okay, if he's going to be the starting quarterback for the next five years for the Argos, there's going to be some success here because I see everything I need to see from Arbuckle. Um, I'm still not there yet. Um, but again, I, I liked what he showed uh, against the Rough Riders. Defensively, I'd be a little worried if I was the Argos um, because remember that defense in that first half, especially that first quarter against the Bombers when the Argos uh, you know, beat Winnipeg that defense was flying around making plays and that really didn't come to fruition against Saskatchewan. Uh, so I think that's a Stubler thing though. I do like, th this is why I take this game as a bit of an anomaly because I don't know, again, similar to what I said about Bo, where I'm like, I don't know how he's supposed to look great. I don't know how Toronto's defense is supposed to just change a lot of the things they're doing, go on the road and hold a team to under 20. Cause if your offense is not the, the Argo should have been in the end zone at the end of the first half when they ended up having those three shots from the three yard line. Yeah. They didn't get in there. They should have had a touchdown on a drop deep ball that Nick Arbuckle threw perfectly later on in the game. They didn't get in there. If they hit on those two plays alone, this is what I'm talking about with their potential. If they hit on those two plays alone, you're talking about them putting up 30 points instead of Saskatchewan. If you have Glenn Young in as your defensive coordinator and you keep rolling with a system the players have understood through the first month and a bit of the season, I don't think you're giving up 30 points. Like at, at that point, the Argos win because they're scoring 30 and Saskatchewan's not scoring 30. So when I look at this, I think they're two plays away from blowing it open offensively and their defense was not really their defense this week. So I just kind of shrug at this game. I'm like, okay, I know Saskatchewan's very good. I understand Fajardo's very dangerous, but their offensive game plan, aside from William Powell, the way they used Fajardo in this game was way more tentative than they have in recent games. I think that has to do with the concussion. I think they were protecting him. There was a lot of quick releases. There was a lot of not asking him to get out of the pocket and create the way he usually does. There was no called quarterback runs, I don't think, that I remember off the top of my head. So, um, yeah, to me, this game's an anomaly. Toronto looks very good. 
Saskatchewan's got lots of potential, and I just kind of chalk it up to, okay, a lot of turmoil in and around the Argos. They missed a couple of opportunities. Move on to the next game. Yeah, and for me, um, I look at Toronto and what they're trying to do defensively. Not a ton of pressure on Cody Fajardo. Um, I think they had a couple of sacks in the game. Um, but I think that would be the biggest takeaway uh, from this contest would be Saskatchewan, you know, when they lost to Winnipeg, those two games, their offensive line really struggled against Willie and Jackson Jeffco. Um, I think their offensive line really just came back together and um, executed a little bit better. Um, again, quality of opponent. We have to take into consideration as well. You're not going up against those monsters, but Sean Oakman was, you know, ruining, <laughs> he ruined the Ticats day um, in, in Toronto. So we'll see what consistency looks like uh, for, for the riders. Um, I like what I see uh, from Cody Fajardo, just terms of bouncing back. Um, and if he's upright and he's healthy, Saskatchewan are very good. When he's banged up and hobbling out there, it's like a repeat of 2019 in that playoff game, where especially early in that contest, it looked like Cody Fajardo was dragging both of his legs. Yeah, it's true. Uh, shout out to Micah Tights, by the way, Canadian linebacker, eight tackles in this game, which I thought was a standout. And I mentioned Jaguar Davis was the best player on the field in Hamilton, Calgary. My best player on the field, also defensive in this one, uh, when I saw Dexter McCoyle Sr. running around making eight tackles and, and being very, very active. So shout out to him for doing that. Hey, oh, and how have we not talked about Keen Schaefer-Baker, uh, who, oh, get, who gets yeah. himself uh, 11 targets, nine catches, 99 yards. Oh, should have had that one extra yard game. <laughs> you should have just stretched and got that 100-yard game. But uh, he ends up getting into the end zone, bouncing off tacklers. I sent this out on Friday night, and I just want to reiterate it for people that aren't on Twitter or don't give a damn about my Twitter, which is fair. Uh, Dwayne Ford called this I, Dwayne Ford and he'll never take credit for it because Dwayne is a very humble human being but uh, Dwayne is very rarely wrong when it comes to his assessment of talent his eye for talent and I remember going into the draft that Schaefer Baker was in I was like well you know this player's nice and that receiver and that guy's got great hands and Dwayne just kept saying everywhere that I saw his analysis whether it be CFL.ca and podcasts he's like this Schaefer Baker kid's going to be for real like he's going to be a very very good player and I saw the frame going into the draft, but I just didn't really see the full package. I was wrong. Dwayne was right. Full package is there. <laughs> He's a great, great player. And it's fun, too, because when you look at the huddle of the riders right now, you see Picton alongside Schaefer Baker, alongside Lenius. And like when you look at the top of their receivers, three of the four were Canadian. I mean, if you actually include everybody, uh, four of the five, because Keenan LaFrance also had himself one catch for 18 yards, but it was Schaefer Baker, nine for 99. Kieran Moore is in second. He had just three grabs for 30 yards. And then Picton has three for 27, and Lenius has two for 21. They obviously leaned very hard on Schaefer Baker in this game. I don't know if that's going to continue, but the Cana I, I said this at the start of the season, the Canadian receiving talent in that room, like they're not even using Justin McInnes. Like he was a, a, the highest draft pick that they had when they went with the two receivers of Lenius and, and McInnes. They don't have him in the lineup. So um, there's a lot to be excited about, I think, for the future of Canadian pass catchers in Saskatchewan, as long as they keep these guys in house, which Picton ain't going nowhere. I don't know why Lenius would want to leave, but Schaefer Baker, if he plays like this for the remainder of this year, man, a free agency, when that rolls around for him, be it this year or next year, because I'm not sure what his contract is. You can't tell me there's not going to be eight teams that are going to be circling him, especially if a team like BC, yeah. if a team like BC loses Javon Katoy to the NFL, because he's starting to come on a little bit. And I think he's playing himself out of the league because his size and ability, 
I mean, man, BC would hunt somebody like Schaefer Baker. Yeah. And the, the thing about Keenan Schaefer Baker in, in that game, there was a lot of comparisons uh, on the broadcast to, you know, previous riders, Canadian receivers um, that had success in the CFL, whether it was Chris Getzlaff or Rob Bag. I think he, he might be better. Just he more he, he's more physically he's imposing. Yeah, he's like he's bag. he's a different Canadian receiver. I'll say that he's more gets than bag. I'll say that. Yeah, uh, and he's and he's not Fantu's level because Fantu's is an alien and and has always been that way. But but Fantu's uh, is more of a possession guy. Like Schaefer Baker, like he can make big plays. Yeah, but I mean Fantu's was a bit of a jump ball guy coming out of Western where he could get up and make plays vertically as well. Yeah. And and that's kind of where Schaefer Baker's at at this point in his career. So, but I do think he's more gets laugh than anything else. If you want to try and draw a direct comparison to these uh, players of the past. Bag is, to me, is out of the question. It's not really a comparison because Bag was significantly shorter, thicker, more physical in the blocking mm-hmm. game. But yeah, I mean, Kane Shaver-Baker doesn't go down very easily. So uh, I'm excited to see him continue throughout the season. I hope it keeps going for him and, and I want to see him have great success because it was a great storyline and it was really fun to watch. Uh, the third game of the weekend as we kicked off on Saturday evening, was BC against the Montreal Alouettes, BC 27-18. Lucky Whitehead is Brandon Banks of 2019. (laughs) I've really, I've come around on this where I like Lucky Whitehead, I like what he's about, but now you see the stat line he's putting up. Six catches on six targets, 133 yards and a touchdown in this one. He's become a deep ball threat. He's explosive. You can throw him quick screens. You can throw him vertical shots. It doesn't matter. I'm kind of tempted to do a side-by-side comparison of through however many games that they've played six games right now for the lions in 2021, what does whitehead's production and the way he's creating that production look to Brandon banks, MOP campaign of 2019. Cause I got a feeling they're probably not that different. Yeah. Um, he has really become, you know, a focal point of, you know, that offense very quickly. Um, I mean, it's still Brian Burnham's kind of receiving core. Um, but lucky whitehead is, you know, Every single game, it looks like, okay, that's a new wrinkle to BC's offense to get the ball in in Whitehead's hands. Um, And that's the thing that, you know, good offensive minds do. They're great players that can make plays when they have the ball in their hands. They do everything in their power to get the ball in those players' hands. Um, When I look at Edmonton, that's not the case, right? With, you know, Greg Ellingson, again, you know, second half is first target. It's like, what is going on? And in this offense, but I look at Lucky Whitehead and, and Burnham. I really like what BC's doing. And if I'm a team in the West Division, I'd be scared about BC because offensively they could put up 35 points in a heartbeat. And you'll be like, wait, we're on the outside looking in now. And you know, on the season, what happened? Well, Mike, Michael Riley happened with that offense, and defensively, they make enough plays. Now, in this game, it helps when the Montreal Alouettes are just kicking field goals and not finishing drives. When you're kicking field goals, you're probably losing. That's why, as a coach, I think I would have a mindset, and again, I am not qualified to probably say this. If I was a coach, I'd probably have a limit of three field goals in a game, especially if I'm losing and I'm behind, three field goals in a game. And after that, we're going for it on third down because we can't just keep kicking field goals, especially when you have Riley on the other side putting up big points. This might be stupid analysis, but I do wonder if there's a if you were to do uh, you know an analytical breakdown of number of field goals kicked by winning football teams, 
if there would be a line that <laughs> if, if there would be a line that would be like 3.5 if you go over three and a half field goals kicked in a game what's your win percentage versus three versus two versus one and that comes down to opportunity clearly and field position and a lot of things go into that but um if you're if you're forced to kick field goals and you're doing a lot of it yeah i'm, I'm with you you're probably not going to win a ton of games in the cfl so vernon Adams jr just 16 of 36 i wondered going into this how he would be affected by kahari jones being away quarantining because of the positive covid test yeah and I was really hoping, and, and I thought it was great that Matt Dunnigan said this in the pregame show on Saturday. I was really hoping that he was going to use it as a growth opportunity where it's like, you know, you've always had your parent there to watch over you and make sure you're doing the right things. And, and then when your parent's not present for the first time, do you revert or do you grow? And do you use it as a moment to try and understand, okay, I can lead this huddle, not, not try to be the coach, but I can lead this huddle give them an extra voice of calm and carry this team the way that they want me to clearly because they've invested in Vernon going forward. And uh, I just didn't see that unfortunately in this game. And it's man, he, he's so athletic when he opens it up and pulls, pulls it down and runs. He's as good an open field runner as there is in the CFL. I think at any position and that's saying something because Dakota Prukop looked great for Edmonton. Uh, but no, I, <laughs> when I, when I see Vernon run around, it's really fun and it's great. But then, he struggles on throwing crossing routes. He always has. He threw some interceptions in the East semifinal against Edmonton in 2019 on crossers. Um, he throws one behind and at the hip of, of Eugene Lewis in this game that should have been a touchdown early on. That kind of set the tone for the game. He has the scrambling play where he's trying to be creative and make the hero play. He throws an interception on that one. Um, it's he, he didn't really have a growth moment, unfortunately, no. in this game. And Michael Riley goes 21 to 25 for 308, two touchdowns. Um, they get solid contributions across the board from some of their running game that, I mean, Lucky, like I said, is the guy, but their defense in the back end, I think for BC, it was just superior to what Montreal was throwing out there in this game. And I think BC, as you say, I would not want to play against them anytime soon because the offense is scary, but the defense from Jordan Williams-Lambert to Anthony Chiaffi to, yeah. uh, to Lacombo is an all-star at this point. Like he's a first team CFL all-star at well linebacker in my mind. And there's a lot of good ones out there. Simone's having a great year, but to me, Bo Lacombo is the guy at this point and, uh, and, and could be most outstanding Canadian as well. Like, let's be real about this. If he keeps getting interceptions, then he might be in the conversation as a defender for that award as well. Yeah. Um, looking at the numbers in this one for Vernon Adams Jr., obviously the completion percentage wasn't there, but we've talked about it kind of all season long, the overly aggressiveness from Vernon Adams Jr. Mm -hmm. and the Alouette's offense. Well, it didn't change. With 16 completions, he did have 270 yards. Yeah. Like he is pushing the ball down the field. And they actually had the run game there, William Stanback, almost 140 yards on the ground. Like they had the yardage. They just couldn't finish drives. Yeah. And that's why I think at some point you just got to stop kicking field goals and just go for it on third down, especially if it's within third and five uh, or, or closer, you just go for it and hope for the best. Cause if you're kicking field goals and you have Michael Riley on the other side, they're probably not kicking field goals. And that's how you get the final you did. Yep, yep, no doubt about that. Uh, I, I agree with you. It came down to, to closing out the game. When you talk about the over-the-top aggressiveness of their passing attack, I've never been more thankful for it than this week where I'm calling an Alouette's game on television. 
<laughs> boy, let me tell you, that game in the rain between Ottawa and BC, I didn't have much vertical passing to talk about in that one. Uh, and so That's I why you got surprised about that Katoy touchdown. Exactly, yeah. I was a little, <laughs> little shocked. Uh, so I'm very thankful to have Montreal, and I hope that Kahari Jones is back in the fold and get a chance to chat with him in the lead-up to that game because uh, I always enjoy our conversations when I've had the opportunity around covering the Hamilton Tigers. What happens when a coach is not on the sideline? Does that coach still have an input in the day-to-day? Or the, yeah. the game plan. And stuff yeah, like so that. I think that they said that even pre-halftime and post that there were text messages that were exchanged uh, as well between Bull Duke and Kahari Jones. So I, I do think that it plays into it. Why but can't yeah. Kahari be on the headset, by the way? It's a good question. I mean, we have the technology. If we I can, know. If we can zoom into everything anywhere, why could we not have basically Kahari zooming into a computer that's on the yeah. sideline which Kahari's is the, in his kitchen in his underwear just calling plays on the play sheet <laughs> it's the future man that's the future let's let's bring it to fruition I agree with you on this. <laughs> coach is so, working from home <laughs> yeah why not I mean they already get paid enough money and just stay at home uh and then the final game of the weekend for you here Winnipeg against Edmonton uh Taylor Yukon Cornelius gets the start 19 oh. of 33 243 but three interceptions and didn't even seem upset about the three interceptions because you could kind of tell he's just like yeah okay yeah I'm, I'm a new guy to the CFL and I was probably going to make some mistakes but if I'm on Edmonton I'm like yeah I get it they're Winnipeg they're the best team in the CFL Kalaros does his thing again I always say they don't want to throw the ball more than 25 times 19 of 24 252 <laughs> one touchdown one interception up around 20 carries for Andrew Harris 97 yards uh I, I do like the way that Winnipeg has become so formulaic because I actually caught myself Kyle the other day watching this game and I had my head down and I was doing some work and I was tracking something that had happened in the Montreal BC game and it was almost like this natural rhythm of the game where it's Harris run Harris run screen to Dembski quick slant to Rasheed Bailey and then I had this moment where I looked up the TV and I went oh they're at the 30 yard line yeah this is where Zach's gonna take the shot (laughs) right because you just get into the rhythm of how they want to call the game and i'm like yeah this is where he takes the shot sure enough takes a deep shot down the right side like it's they they are so patterned in the way that they're approaching the game and i kind of love them for it because it's uh it's fun to see a team that is so in control of their own style for edmonton james wilder jr 14 carries 71 yards two touchdowns uh he got after it for a while there but this goes to show you that having uh, a running back who's having a pretty decent average in the CFL, unless you're running for a pretty decent average on 20 plus carries, it's probably not going to make a difference when the other team's quarterback is 19 of 24. Yeah. Um, looking at uh, Zach Kalaros' uh, game charts, uh, uh, this is his last five games. 18 completions, 16 completions, 19 completions, 18 completions, 19 completions. <laughs> you're right. And all on how many attempts, like... <laughs> This is the thing, too, is how many attempts do you have because they 25, don't... 27, 22, 24. <laughs> yeah. It's the exact same game. He plays the exact same game every week. And, uh, man, I'd be so happy if I was Zach that I'm in this situation where it's like they want me to be an expert at these things. And it's like they put you in that bubble and say, Zach, this is your job. Because in the, in the past, Zach has been asked, whether it be in Saskatchewan or in Hamilton, hey, do everything create scramble run around look down the field it was like very much like hey look over here or let's go deep over there we need you to fix this problem for us or make a check of the line of scrimmage or and now he's just in this offense where it's you can tell he is and it's not that he's asleep at the wheel but he could do this in his sleep yeah this is this looks easy for zach right now because of how formulaic it's becoming 
Yeah. Um, well, the one thing that stuck out to me in this game too, um, on the Bombers side, I think this was the uh, re-coming out again of uh, Nick Dembski. Nick yes. Dembski looked like a just tank. He was running through tackles, it seemed, every single play. Um, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Nick Dembski, still one of the best Canadian players that we have in the Canadian Football League. Um, but for me, it's interesting because we had the conversation last week about most outstanding player and whether or not if the mindset is true of you know great players on the same team cancel each other out when it comes to um uh you know most outstanding player whether or not willie jefferson adam big hill jackson jeffco all cancel each other out in, in that race and it all roads lead to zach it'd be interesting to look up on uh completion numbers on has a quarterback ever won the most outstanding player award with as little completions as Zach Kalaros has. Um, But again, it's about efficiency. It's not about numbers and it's not about numbers for, um, you know, that team. And for Mike O'Shea, I think he's built something very special. And I had somebody in the press box tell me on, on Friday night um, that, because I was writing the article for the betting perspective on the Winnipeg um, game um, at the stadium and they were saying oh you mean the 2021 great cup champions Winnipeg <laughs> Blue Bombers I'm like I, I'm not going to disagree with you like yeah. the, the team is really good and defensively how do you crack that like Toronto cracked it in that game but it was a lot different um, they were able to kind of jump on Winnipeg early and it completely changed how Winnipeg had to play um so we'll see if that is a recipe for how to beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but it's going to be a tall task for anybody. Um, and another question, um, after the Tag gets one with uh, David Watford and playing the offense that they did, does Dakota Prukop now start for the Edmonton Elks? Uh, no, because apparently Taylor Cornelius is the future of the Elks organization, as was reported by Ryan Rashog, that they think <laughs> that he is going to grow into this. Uh, and to that, I say never trust an Oklahoma State quarterback with anything. <laughs> okay. Like I've seen enough of these guys because they, they had the clip of Elizondo saying, You mean Mike Glennon didn't do a good job in the NFL? <laughs> <laughs> wasn't, he, wasn't he NC State? Was uh, he? I think so. Yeah. Wolfpack. What am I thinking of? Wolfpack, I maybe. Uh, you're probably thinking of Brandon Whedon. Uh, but no, I. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Whedon. The old there, guy that got drafted. There's. <laughs> there's, I mean, I go back to like Zach Robinson and other just names from the past at Oklahoma State. And in Mike Gundy's offense, you're always going to get to show off your arm. I mean, to his credit, he is athletic because Suter kept saying he's an athletic 6'5", he's an athletic 6'5", yeah. and he was. He ran around a little bit, and he moves better than I thought that he would at that size. Um, but quarterbacking is not about how tall you are. Quarterbacking is not about how strong your arm is. Quarterbacking is not even about how well you move in and around the pocket. You can dodge and, and move, maneuver and get open and find throwing lanes and all these things like Drew Brees. And I mean, Dane Evans is great at that, but quarterbacking is about being the complete package. And it's why I love analyzing quarterback play so much because everybody has strengths and everybody has weaknesses and everybody has tendencies and everybody has things that they, they don't like to do. And for me in this game, again, it's just the first start, so I'm not going to judge too much, but I just, an initial assessment of Taylor Cornelius was, okay, if Trevor's on the sixth game, he's going to be out for a while. If they're going to actually go with Cornelius in this, his release is not that quick because he's a long guy. And he stares things down. And to me, who does that sound like? It sounds like Dominique Davis. 
Well, we've been crapping all over Dominique <laughs> Davis for two years, essentially, at this point, because what is Dominique Davis? Big arm. He moves well. He's tall. He can see over the pocket. That's what Taylor Cornelius is at this point. So Taylor Cornelius needs to prove that he can look off coverages, that he can look to the right, come back to the left, fire it in, little dart here on a 10-yard in-breaking route, or uh, that he can throw a comeback to the outside with accuracy and not leave it inside, that he can throw an out route on timing, that he's not throwing balls that he just hopes are going to be completed, that he knows the receiver's going to be at the right spot at the right time. Uh, there was not a lot of that in that game for me. So I, I just, to me, there's a lot of room for growth, according to what everybody in Edmonton is talking about. Uh, but I don't, I don't trust Oklahoma State quarterbacks. I just don't because I, I think they put up a ton of yardage and they show a great skill set, but that's not what quarterbacking is about. And look at Oklahoma State's ability to win Big 12 titles over the years. Like Oklahoma, I think, has had a pretty firm grip on that thing or Texas. And I mean, not Texas for a while, but when, when I see Oklahoma quarterbacks, they have a lot of the, hey, the production and the arm strength and all this, but they're the they're more of a full package than Oklahoma State guys who just put up a billion yards and we all go wow good for him it's like well what did we accomplish with it I don't know we we blew out Iowa okay like how is is that going to make you a great professional quarterback no so yeah um, again I don't mean to bang on Taylor Cornelius here because I think there's there's potential there it's just the first game whatever shrug okay let's move on and, and see what he becomes here I guess but the, the initial assessment for me is I've seen this before yeah um, for Edmonton, I think they're in the same boat as Calgary. Uh, time is running out for you to fix whatever problems you have. And that's a paralyzing feeling when you have your backup quarterback. Um, and we don't know when Trevor Harris is going to be back uh, now. Um, but for Jamie Elizondo, he's got to work whatever you know kinks that Cornelius has and, and try to put it into a winning game plan. It's weird how the repetition of the CFL plays itself out. Um, you know, Jake Mayer comes in for the Stampeders and the first 10 passes of the CFL career, he looks rough mm-hmm. and he's throwing pick sixes. And it's like, and then Cornelius comes in and he's staring down receivers on that wide side throw. And then it's getting picked off and running back to the house. And it's like, man, people I think are underestimating how difficult it is to play the quarterback position in the Canadian football league and how different it is. Um, and it can screw with you. Like the, the game speeds are different in, in the CFL and to make throws, you know, uh, to the sideline, you better be chucking that thing as hard as you can sometimes and yeah. not staring down that receiver. Like it's gotta be looking, looking, looking head, come to the other side. Then you throw it. You cannot drop back, drop back and your head doesn't move off of that. And then you're throwing it because the defensive backs are, are too good in this league to allow you to make, you know, that whatever, whatever it is, you know, 45 yard throw on a rope when the guy is literally 10 yards away, maybe less than 10 yards away um, from the, the defensive back. And they're like, no, I'm going to jump on this, especially if you're staring at me the entire time. Yeah. Anticipation, touch, accuracy, all of these things are super important. And I think, We've even seen that with Bo Levi coming back off injury, where, as I talked about earlier, he's just not in a rhythm yet. He doesn't look much better than some of these other names that we're talking about. But also, to your point, it should remind people just how damn good Michael Riley is at playing quarterback in the CFL when he has protection, that he can do the things that he does because ball placement, accuracy, arm strength, pocket movement, knowing when to use his legs, knowing when to slide to protect himself. 
Uh, he has been special for a long time, but he's still playing at an extremely, extremely high and, level. So BC's yeah. going to shoot up a lot of power rankings this week. Yeah, and I think it's important to state again, this is kind of the Zach Kalaros argument. Mm-hmm. When you have a great team around you, it's about not making the mistakes that break your back. And Zach Kalaros very rarely makes the mistake that you know breaks his team. Uh, for Cornelius, he has to just go in there and, use the unbelievable you know crop of playmakers that they have on that offense and i would say lean on that defense um and again this is not completely um on the defense because i know edmonton have turned the ball over a lot in you know their their own end of the field and whether it was pick sixes or things like that they've allowed the most points against in the west division yeah. Like defensively for Edmonton, it's not fantastic. And when your offense is struggling for consistency as much it is, as much as it is, um, man, it is going to be really tough to string wins together, especially in that West Division where I think you have Saskatchewan and you have Winnipeg, and I think they're you know clearly the two best teams in the division. BC's coming, but then for Edmonton and Calgary to fight back into that group, it's going to be really tough. Get ready! Get ready! Let's go, a little urgency. Here we go. Let's go. We're almost out of here. This is the three-minute warning brought to you by... Today, it's brought to you by Canadian Receivers. When you mentioned Nick Dembski, one of the best receivers, I was thinking of uh, where we stand right now with Canadian receivers across the league. The top eight are all American, okay? Lucky Whitehead, Kamar Jordan, Kenny Lawler, Brian Burnham, Josh Huff, Marky Thambles, Darrell Walker, and uh, Gino Lewis. At number nine is Nick Dembski. He's got 24 catches on 30 targets through five games played. Again, he missed one game due to injury, so that makes it that much more impressive. After that... You've got yourself, again, another pack of Americans. Ricky Collins Jr. in Toronto, Jake Wieneke in Montreal, Greg Ellingson in Edmonton, Eric Rogers in Toronto, Kieran Moore in Saskatchewan. Then you get to Mike Jones from Edmonton, (laughs) Canadian National. uh, 21 catches on 27 targets through six games. Rasheed Bailey, BJ Cunningham, DeVaris Daniels, Jalen Acklin, Tim White. Keen Schaefer-Baker is the third highest rated receiver that's Canadian right now. He's only played in four games, 21 catches, on 25 attempts, right behind him is Braden Lenius. In six games, he's got 17 catches on 21 targets. And then rounding it out, Javon Katoy, 13 catches on 15 targets, including two touchdowns and two gains of 30 yards or more. Both of those were his touchdowns. So I did not have Kane Schaefer-Baker or Javon Katoy being in my top five Canadian receivers right now, but Nick Dembski is at the head of that group. Uh, so shout out to him and uh, congratulations on all of that. I have a great stat for you here on the way out, Kyle. We don't talk much NFL on this show because people don't come here for NFL, but I know you love the NFL. I was in awe yesterday of Tom Brady and what he did. (laughs) I saw a stat that he has age 41 or older, because keep in mind, Tom Brady's 40 freaking four years old. Tom Brady, since turning 41, has 114 touchdown passes. 114 touchdown passes since turning 41. All quarterbacks combined in the history of the National Football League since turning 41 <laughs> years old. They'll come close. The rest of them have thrown 109 combined. <laughs> Brady has more touchdown passes by himself after turning 41 in the NFL than all the other quarterbacks in the history of the National Football League combined after they turned 41 years old. Yeah. What the hell is happening? How is this possible? I don't know. I know Max Kellerman got replaced on uh, first take, but that was... Uh a drum he was beating forever. Tom Brady's done. I don't know when it's going to happen, but he's done. Well, 
he outlasted you, Max. You're not even up first take anymore. It's um, crazy. Yeah. Um, one last thing in the Canadian Football League before we wrap up the show. Um, does Mike Rose get suspended for not kicking Nikola Klinich? That was weird, man. It felt like he saw Klinich was trying to bury him, and he just, in, in a moment of rage, impulse, decided to show the bottom of his foot to Klinich's uh, midsection. So I, I want to sh- know why somebody on Prue's... Uh, uh, crew through the 15 yard penalty they obviously saw it but didn't boot him from the game i'm like he just nut shotted somebody yeah I, I don't know what the punishment's going to be on that one but i would imagine that's not something they want to be in the league so we'll see where it goes from there uh, don't forget oua.tv is the place that you can get all of your football games for ontario university athletics streaming live and on demand oua.ca for stats standing scores and more tomorrow on all canadian a deep dive into oua week number one with the western mustangs rolling the mcmaster marauders and the university of toronto getting off to a one and oh start alongside uh the queen's gales as well who go on the road and go into carlton come out victorious so does laurier and of course, the Waterloo Warriors as well. So a full breakdown of that for you. And don't forget to uh, go ahead and visit fox40shop.com. Use the promo code CFP15 at checkout. Thank you to Fox 40 for making this podcast possible. And thank you to you for tuning in. For Kyle Mello, I'm Marshall Ferguson. Thanks for checking out Canadian Football Perspective. We'll be back here with a recap of week number eight across the league next Monday right here on CFP. Marshall has done the unthinkable. The Ticats are going to want to know what he's got left in the tank. Let's see if we can make some lemonade out of this lemon that we're in the middle of. Turn a red light into a green light. Just keep living.